The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I will be your host this time around alongside James Fox. We're working together today to talk to Matt Zawaski, better known as on Twitter, at SouthsideZoe. He is also one of the hosts at Pinwheels Ivy Pod. He focuses on White Sox baseball. Uh, So talk to me, Matt. Pinwheels Ivy Pod, this is a combined effort, right, with Cubs and Sox content. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, first and foremost, thanks for having me on, guys. And uh, I'm sure I'm not telling you guys anything new when there's a lot of different White Sox podcasts and they're all great in their in their own unique ways and when we were looking over the marketplace and just my relationship especially with Aldo my co-host we're just he's a big Cubs guy and he's a prominent figure on Cubs Twitter and you know I mess around on Sox Twitter and I'm a big White Sox guy and we're like there really isn't a, a show that just focuses on Cubs and White Sox there's Chicago sports podcasts that touch on everything and then there's White Sox podcast and Cubs podcast but there isn't one for both. And we figured we'd give it a go. I mean, we do get some feedback, you know, especially from the Southside faithful. Oh, tell me when the Cubs talk is over so I can fast forward. I get it. It's fine. No problem. But uh, yeah, we cover all things Cubs and Sox. I got a great uh, couple of co-hosts with me and uh, it's, we think it's pretty entertaining. That's Pinwheels and Ivy podcast. You can follow that at Pinwheels Ivy pod on Twitter. Matt, uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Of course, we're on a hiatus here um, before live baseball resumes, and I just wanted to get your opinion. You know, James and I came up with this idea of trying to get as many personalities on Sox Twitter together on our podcast to explore all of these different perspectives, because, of course, at Future Sox, our goal is to provide quality coverage for the prospects in the minor league system. But now it's starting to mix with the big league club, because a lot of these players are at the end of their development and we're about to see them whenever baseball does get going again at the big league level. So that's very exciting to us. So we're going to, we're going to ask your opinion about several of these players and where the White Sox stand in their development. But also I wanted to, I wanted to also kick it off with, you know, how you're dealing with the current situation. I know obviously it impacts our everyday lives and for people that are now working from home, it's a big deal. And I know this impacts James and what he does. Schools are closing. They're, they're teaching from home. So electronically, these students are now learning. How has this affected your day-to-day life, Matt? It's been, I mean, it, we're still pretty new into it. So 
you know, it's still like, okay, I'm working from home. Cool. But you know, you lack the human interaction that you have every day. And that's kind of weird. And don't get me wrong. I'm currently quarantined with my favorite people in the world. If my wife listens to this, um, but that's kind of weird. And then it's just like, so the White Sox finally went and spent all this money and got the players. And it's like a kid knowing you're going to get the exact present you want for Christmas. And then you get two weeks before Christmas and they say, guess what? Christmas is in April now. So it's, it's really disappointing that I was so excited for opening day, uh, the opening day tailgate, just seeing all these things are still going to happen. It's just, we got to wait more. So practice and patience and yeah, the, the impact on the high school and the collegiate athletes, I can, I mean, to me, that's unbelievable. Um, one of my hosts for the pinwheels is Kevin Fiddler. Uh, he's a high school baseball coach out in Las Vegas. And, you know, Kevin's a very energetic, happy guy. And that's one of the things I really love about him. But when we got together last week to record the episode, you could just tell something was off about him. And he basically just said the fact that he had to look his seniors in the eyes and say, Hey guys, there's no season where these kids, some of these kids just needed to have a good season to get over that proverbial hump to get that, maybe that extra college money or, you know, get a ride somewhere, or get a look in a, a minor league system or something. It's just, you work your whole life for this. And then all of a sudden it's taken away because of this horrible pandemic that's worldwide. And I just couldn't imagine. I mean, James, I know you're a coach too. It's just, it's unbelievable for these kids and my heart goes out to them. Yeah. And I, you know, so that's out in Vegas. I mean, I'm sure it's going to happen here too. They haven't obviously canceled anything officially yet. Everybody's on hiatus. So in the spring, like I'm a junior high teacher down in the Southwest suburbs and I do coach high school football. I'm over at Lockport, but in the spring I coach junior high track and field. And, you know, we've had a really successful program and the kids take it very seriously. And, you know, we got like over a hundred kids on our team. We have no idea like what's going to happen with that season. So, I mean, some of our kids are like working out on their own right now. They can't have any, like, you know, any contact with us other than, you know, us just like sending them like a workout or something to do. Um, But, you know, yeah, it's look, there's a lot of people that are heck of a lot worse off than I am right now. Like I'm sitting home till, you know, April 5th, like writing and doing podcasts and like basically getting paid for it. But, you know, it is going to really suck if I have to tell some of these kids like, yeah, you're not going to have a track season. And there's like not really very much that we can do about it. So I I definitely understand where your co-host is coming from. And it's, you know, it's just, you know, it's just the times right now. It's totally crazy. But so like uh, Mike was saying, in our quest to unite White Sox Twitter, which, you know, we've we've kind of been doing here over the last month, um, having people on the podcast, I don't know how much minor league baseball you consumed, like, before, like, during the rebuild, but I guess, like you were saying, the teams, you know, should be good finally whenever they get started. So how do you think a good White Sox team will change the way you consume, like, the White Sox minor league affiliates? Um, so I would say especially in the last probably three or four years, you know, as this got started, um, I definitely started streaming minor league games a lot more, paying attention, reading future socks to stay on top of, you know, prospects coming up. And it's been really exciting. It's kind of, you know, uh, almost like a video game when you create a character and watching them develop and move through the ranks and you're watching some of these kids grow up and then the moves being made and you get really excited and, I was watching, uh, you know, Barons games and Knights games a lot. Um, we actually had the 
the GM for the Barons on the show a couple times. That guy's a great guy, by the way. Um, and it was just, it's a really exciting time. Now we got most of the, the kids that you followed for most part are now up and active, but I know people say that the Sox have kind of, it goes off a cliff after X amount of prospects, but I guess maybe I'm a creature of habit. And now that I've been watching these games and reading these articles and consuming this, I still want to watch Jimmy Lambert pitch. I still want to see what happens with Jake Berger. I I want to, watch Zach Birdie develop, you know, like there's guys like that that are still in the system that intrigue me. I don't think I'll be watching it as much like Luis Robert was appointment watching. Like if he was playing, I was watching that game, but I still think I'm going to consume it at, I guess, a pretty high level. Yeah. So like we, I mean, we obviously cover it here. So like, I'm like that, but I feel like a lot of people were kind of like, okay, like there'd be a White Sox game on the television and instead they're streaming MILB TV instead, like waiting for the next Luis Robert plate appearance, like, you know, in some giant Southern league stadium, just because like, it's, it's more interesting. And I think, you know, other portions of White Sox media, um, like over NBC Sports Chicago, like they did a good job of like pumping these prospects and doing some of that stuff too. And now all these guys are up on the big league team. So we'll still be here for you and for everybody, obviously covering all these guys at Future Sox. But, you know, I do think there's still some talent down there, you know, where people that aren't necessarily fans of watching minor league baseball, you know, still have something to watch if they want to follow along. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, like you said, it's great baseball to watch. And these kids are, it's almost like watching NCAA basketball. These kids are playing for something. They're playing for their, their, their shot. And you kind of see it a little bit more guys taking the extra base guys laying out for catches. I don't, I, I don't think, I know you two are going to agree with me, but I find it extremely entertaining. So Matt, I want to stay on the topic here, just with the young players and the prospects and, and just everything that, has affected the start of the major league baseball season. So we talked to Keith law the other day and, you know, he mentioned that of course the, the scouting and the draft is going to be a little bit different. We, we really can't foresee at this point how it's going to play out, but in your opinion, so major league baseball is complying with the CDC and they're taking even more measures. They're going to the next step and pushing opening day back to potentially even June. How do you believe this all is going to play out just hypothetically the way you see it uh when when do you think baseball activities are going to start back up again of course it's hard nobody we're we're not doctors we don't know how this this pandemic is going to play out but just you know from the outside looking in what do you think if you would asked me two days ago i probably would have said i feel really good about may that's no longer the case um if it happens in May, I'll be very surprised and very happy. Uh, I'm going to say early June. Yeah, because that's we're sitting here thinking, okay, once baseball decides to get back going, you have to allow players what, two weeks, maybe ten days, mm-hmm. to get back into the flow, and then it's opening day. And you know, I covered the Frontier League for three seasons, and the Frontier League is a total of 96 games. So you have a two week stretch where you you struggle where you go a three and 11, uh, suddenly your season is over because it's hard to make those games up immediately. And, you know, if baseball does decide to go to the shortened season, I hope that they get up to a hundred games somehow. Uh, It's just, it's just so mind boggling at this point, how everything is going to play out. So with that being said, let's, let's 
always have that when we, as we're talking about, you know, the White Sox in this situation, that's the underlying fact that there's all these variables in play. So moving on, considering that baseball will get going at some point, are there any of these prospects that you're keeping an eye on now that the big name prospects like Robert, who's expected to be up right away, Andrew Vaughn, uh, Michael Kopech, any of these top guys who are major league ready or almost major league ready that you're specifically focusing on here? Well, obviously, if anybody follows me on Twitter at Southside Zoe, you know Nick Madrigal is my guy. Big Nick Madrigal fan, still am. Wasn't the greatest spring for him so far. Wasn't terrible, just wasn't amazing. Um, but the other one, I guess, a little bit down the prospect list that I've talked about on pinwheels that I really like is uh, Luis Gonzalez. Big fan of him, the outfielder. Um, and then... I mentioned him a little bit earlier. I think Zach Birdie is going to be a, a key factor to the White Sox going forward with regards to playoffs and being successful. Yeah, so I, I like uh, Luis Gonzalez, too. He's kind of one of like the unheralded guys a little bit. I mean, he's a third-round college pick um, that's you know, kind of advanced through the system like in an appropriate manner, but not really just because he's had like guys in front of him. So he's supposed to go back to Birmingham. They could push him to Charlotte and I think he would be fine. It was obviously like a small sample size, but he looked pretty good in spring training. Um, if you know, it's tough to see like a starting spot in the white Sox outfield for him, like at some point within the next couple of years. But I mean, you know, if he goes up to Charlotte and hits, that's like another guy that can be used in a deal. Like you can never have too many prospects. So, you know, he hits, hits from the left side, he can play center. Um, and then he, you know, he, he did improve in the second half in Birmingham. So yeah, he, I think he's, he's an interesting guy for sure. Is there anybody, um, that you think like a lot of people like that maybe you, you don't really understand, or you don't really think the guy's as good as like some of the hype that he gets. I'm very cautious about Dane Dunning. Um, I just need to see the rebound from the injuries. And then I feel like, so, well, you guys are football guys. So remember when Devin Hester would go to Bears camp and every Bears camp, he would make like two or three catches on a, a deep pass. And they, this is the year Devin Hester becomes the greatest wide receiver. I feel like we get that with Blake Rutherford a lot. Like he goes and has really good springs and early seasons in minor league ball. And then he kind of fizzles out. So I do see him high on a lot of people's list as like a guy to watch or somebody that'll come up. But I mean, you still have Adolfo and Basabi above him. And then, like I just said, Gonzalez, I just, I'm not that high on Blake Rutherford as other people are. So I, I, I'm actually with you on Blake Rutherford. Mike can elaborate on this a little bit further because he just saw him. So Rutherford's still only 22, but he's probably a corner guy. And he, he just hasn't hit for the power that's going to be necessary for him to be a corner guy. Now, um, Mike, you saw him. He looks a lot bigger. He's getting some more loft in his swing. You can elaborate on that a little bit further. But I would agree, like, his path to the majors is tough. Like, you know, as a as a probably left fielder, you know, that that just doesn't really even have 15 home run power at this point. Yeah, so when I saw Rutherford live... Um, I was, I was pleasantly surprised in some ways, but also I was kind of all right, even keeled about what I was looking at. Rutherford put on fifty, and I was talking to Scott Merkin about this as well. And he, 
was kind enough to to have an interview with with Future Socks, and he elaborated on this in our podcast episode. But also, you know, he he was talking about how he put the weight on Rutherford did, and then his goal is to keep the weight because at this point, like he has average to above average speed. I saw him in the corner in right field. He misjudged a, a shallow fly ball. I was a little disappointed to see his closing speed on that play, but also it could, you know, be contributed to the highest guys in Arizona. You got a bad read, what have you. Um, just just a few minor things that, that caught me off guard related to Blake Rutherford. But at the same time, he did look physically fit, and that was encouraging because if he's able to keep that weight on, he could translate to have a little bit more power in his swing will translate to that as well. And I think we'll see Rutherford kind of progress into the player that we expect him to be, into his profile. But he's not going to be one of those slab hitters, smaller guys who are going to get on base and steal bases. He's more of of a gap-to-gap guy with his swing now. And yeah, like you said, James, he's more of a corner outfielder. It's just interesting to find out where he fits in the White Sox system at this point especially considering all the depth that they have at the position, I would rank Gonzalez ahead of Rutherford, like ultimately. Uh, and I also really like Louis Basabe ahead of Rutherford as well. And there was another name, Matt, that you mentioned, and that was Mika Adolfo. I saw Mika Adolfo and, you know, going back to when he came back from his injury, he's been lost at the plate approach wise. He doesn't really have a feel of how pitchers are attacking him. I saw him taking at bat, and he was totally lost. He was late in a fastball, like extremely late. The ball's already in his glove like as he was swinging. And then the other swing that he was just completely fooled. Um, and then this goes back to when he participated in the Arizona Fall League as well. Like, Not a lot of power coming from Micker Adolfo. And of course, I'm just this is just perspective at this point. There's a lot. Of, of positives that, that go along with Micker Adolfo. So Matt, I want your take on, on Adolfo and where do you think he could, you know, ultimately play into the White Sox plans here? Well, I mean, the way that the White Sox are set up now, it looks like left field and center field are spoken for, for the immediate future. I mean, I know a lot of people clamor for Aloy to be a DH and who knows, maybe this extra time off, he can figure out how to run direct routes, but here's the wishing. Um, I mean, Adolfo, we've seen he's got an absolute, you know, hose for an arm. So I can see him, you know, in a corner. Um, the coming back from the Tommy John makes me a little bit nervous. Like, kind of like I said with Dane Dunning, anytime these guys have these major operations, I just, I need to see it. I'm not one of those, I won't take it at just, you know, oh, he's good now. No, well, let me see that he's good. Um, to hear that he's kind of lost at the plate is very concerning, you know, I'll, like I said earlier, uh, Future Sox is definitely my go-to when it comes to the prospects. So I take your guys' evaluations very seriously when it comes to these prospects. And if you, you know, to hear you say something like that makes me even a little bit more uneasy. And um, I guess to James' point earlier too, it's never bad to have a full stable at one position. And it's looking like the White Sox do with, again, Adolfo, Basabi, Gonzalez, Rutherford. I mean, they got it a good where if one of these guys does exceed, then he can make his way up. Cause I still think right field is available, but also if the Sox are going to be a serious playoff contender and go deep into the playoffs, there might be one or two moves they need to make and the ability to have one of these guys in, as a package deal or to, as a bargaining chip 
I think could be more valuable than the player itself. And Matt, real quick, and we'll move on from Adolfo here, but I'm just looking at his numbers uh, across 2019, 36 games. Uh, he, he was back in the Arizona league shortly for, for about 13 games. And he looked okay there, like the numbers wise, but let's take that with a grain of salt. And he goes to Birmingham. He slashed 205, 337, 295. That's a 632 OPS. He did not homer. He did have seven doubles. And then in the Arizona Fall League, four homers, but he hit 167, um, struck out 27 times, walked five times in 61 plate appearances. So, you know, the numbers are suggesting that he's not there yet. And then the spring also suggests that he's got some work to do. But also, you know, those injuries took a lot of time away from his game. So essentially, like the optimist in me says, okay, let him get back going into work. And by the way, this spring, he was one for 13 with a double and 11 strikeouts and 16 plate appearances. So it was a tough spring for Adolfo. And, you know, it's one of those things it's disappointing to see because obviously his profile is 6'4", 255. You want him to translate. But again, like to your point, there's a lot of other players that the White Sox are excited about. And one of these players that I saw in spring training as well, you mentioned Zach Birdie, but also Cody Hoyer. Cody Hoyer is a fireballer, 98, 99 miles an hour with his fastball. Are you as excited about Cody Hoyer, a guy like that, as you are with Zach Birdie? I'm bigger on Birdie just because I really, just watching him in this spring training, I made darn sure that I was in front of a computer to stream either on some other channel. I don't want to get anybody in trouble or anything, but I watched him pitch because I just really think Birdie's going to be the goods. I was very upset when he got hurt. Um, Cody, on the other hand, I haven't gotten the chance to really uh, dig deep. I did see him uh, when he was at Wichita State. I've heard really good things. Uh, you definitely aren't the only person that uh, showed the excitement. So I really, you know, cards on the table haven't done a huge deep dive into Cody. Um, I know the White Sox have a, a history as an organization of loving guys that can just throw that hot, nasty speed. And, uh, you know, at 6'5", 200 pounds, you can never have too many arms. Yeah, so Cody Hoyer, super interesting. I mean, he was a six-round pick out of Wichita State as a starter. They almost immediately moved him to the bullpen. Nick Hostetler at the time, like, raved to us about him, just, you know, thought he was a definite big leaguer in a relief role. Um, something we published last week, we had some information just on which prospects were supposed to start the season where. And Hoyer is actually jumping Birdie and going to AAA while Birdie's going back to Birmingham if they ever get started here. So, you know, he he he's definitely an interesting guy to watch. I don't know how much spring training you watched, Matt, but what were your thoughts on seeing uh, Andrew Vaughn in big league games in the spring? Um, I don't know how safe for work it would be if I described it. <laughs> I was uh, very excited. That swing is just, it's smooth. Um, a long time ago, actually, right when we drafted Vaughn, uh, a couple people, including some people that I know are um, counted on by organizations to look at talent, told me to look at Vaughn's swing with Josh Donaldson's during his MVP season. Um, there is a lot of similarities there. Um I got to meet Vaughn uh, and actually interview him for a little bit at SoxFest. Uh, he's definitely smaller than I thought he would be. I'm not the biggest guy in the world. James, you met me um, like 6'1", probably like 220. Um, at least that's what my license says, so I'm sticking with it. 
Um, and I kind of towered over him a little bit, but yeah. So Va- Vaughn's listed at five eleven, and I don't even think he's five eleven, honestly. I don't think that's the case either. But yeah, that swing is just—it's smooth, it's consistent. Uh, he has a great, you know, I. This is something that's kind of newer to me, and I've been hearing it a lot, obviously, following Madrigal, but the the bat on ball skill, and I feel like he has very impeccable bat on ball. Um, the fielding is, you know, we saw very small doses in spring training, and if I don't see him moving out of that first base slot, I know when he got drafted, some people were throwing out their outfield. I just don't see that at all. Um, but, no, I'm – ideally in my – my head, the way this goes is after this season, Encarcion retires, Jose goes to full-time DH, and Vaughn comes up as our first baseman. Yeah, I think that's pretty realistic. I mean, I think Andrew Vaughn, after the offseason or after the spring training that he had, is you know is the type of guy where I think we'd be talking about like him forcing the issue and being in the big leagues this year. Now they have all those first base and DH at-bats to hand out, so that's probably not realistic, but that's you know, that's not really his fault. I mean, I think he's going to be, he's going to be ready pretty quick. I love the, you know, the Josh Donaldson swing comp that you gave and he's solid at first base too. I mean, there was some talk after the draft that he like needed to work on stuff defensively, but that's just like, hasn't really been the case at all. Like he can't play third and he probably can't play the outfield, but he can, he's, you know, he's definitely at least average and maybe above average at first. Um, we talked to Keith Law last night, obviously, like Mike said, and, you know, Keith like raved about Andrew Vaughn more so hit than power. But I mean, when, when these like national prospect guys are ranking a, you know, a right-handed hitting first baseman, like in the top 40 on prospect lists, like he's pretty damn good. Cause that, you know, it's like a, it's a very tough profile and you basically have to mash you know, for it to like work out and everybody, and everybody thinks it's fairly certain that he's pretty much going to. And here's the thing too, James and Matt, I'll, I'll get to you after I finish my point. Well, I saw, I, when I was in Arizona that last week and I saw Andrew Vaughn, I, I couldn't believe how much control he had of the strike zone and his barrel control. He, okay. So I was, it was late in the game, ninth inning, Yerman Mercedes came up and tied the game with a long home run. And I'll ask you about Mercedes after this, but then Andrew Vaughn came up and there was a ball that was in on his hands about well, a little, little below the belt, but he drove it to right center field and the ball just kept carrying. Um, it was, it was more so on a line. It had some loft to it, but his swing was so freaking gorgeous that I couldn't believe that hit with like his bat speed, his hands through the zone and the fact that he was able to barrel the ball up to get it as far as he did on that particular pitch. It was just it was just really encouraging to see that's the type of hitter the White Sox have, somebody who is very conscious of the strike zone and somebody who can adjust, uh, obviously, accordingly to get to the barrel on the ball as consistently as he does. A lot of positive things being said about Andrew Vaughn from all these professionals. But I mentioned Yerman Mercedes. Hmm. Mercedes was optioned to AAA, Matt. And yeah. a lot of yeah, and a lot of people were considering him, myself included, after his four home runs in spring. I was like, he's the perfect twenty-sixth man for the White Sox. Yet he's he's going to Charlotte. Um, what what's your take on, on Yerman and his spot and the move to get him uh, over to Charlotte? And who do you believe now fills in potentially as the twenty-sixth man? Yerman's fun. He really is. Uh, his Instagram is 
awesome. He's very flashy. He actually dresses a lot like Juan Uribe um, with the gold and the flash and the dancing. And he seems like a great guy, a great teammate. And I mean, he carries a lot of pop. And I, I, you know, like you, Michael, I saw the potential for him to be a great, you know, we need a home run here. We need a big hit here. Let's pitch hit Yerman in for, you know, Lurie Garcia or something like that. Um, I think obviously something that hinders him is his fielding. And I've brought that up, you know, multiple times and they already have uh Grandall and um, McCann. And I don't know if he fits as like carrying three catchers and it's just kind of long ball or bust with Yerman. And like I said, he's fun. He's like a, almost like a cult favorite like because of his personality and his energy. And um, I wasn't terribly upset when they moved him to AAA. I was a little surprised. I did think he could get that 26 man spot. Um, and now I think it's going to go to Nicky Delmonico. And why do you, why do you think Nicky gets that spot? Um, I think he's more proven at the major league level. At least he was for that one season he was good that he's riding. He's kind of like a backup in the NFL. You know, you have that one good year and you ride that baby out until <laughs> someone stops paying you. But um, Nicky showed up to spring. He looked very lean, looked very healthy. Uh, he actually looked like he added a little bit of muscle as well. Um, he had a really, really good spring, and that's exactly what a guy like Nicky Delmonico needed to do to make that 26 roster spot. Um, he's very versatile. Uh, with the fact that he can play all three positions, well, I wouldn't play him in all three positions, but I'm sure he'll tell you he could play all three positions in the outfield. Um, good bat, and again, he's a known commodity. Yeah, I think the White Sox are confident in what Nicky Delonico was able to provide after they cut him and then bringing him back. And of course, you know, his his story is very intriguing. So I'm I'm rooting for him if he if he does end up being the 26 man. That'd be great. The White Sox have flexibility considering they have a few guys that they can move to the 60-day IL, make room for him on the 40-man roster. Chesler, Chesler Cuthbert's another guy that's that's in the mix here too. But just given the way that the White Sox are loyal, essentially, to their guys, like they really do like the players that they're familiar with. And not saying that they're not unfamiliar with, with Chesler Cuthbert. It's just that they have history, a lot of history with Nicky Delmonico, and they worked with him through a lot of things. So it makes sense if they do decide to get Delmonico on the roster. But it's another thing, too, when you consider where the White Sox stand. Ultimately, the 26th man, we make it a big deal. Um, and it's just fodder at this point. It's it's fun conversation. But all, realistically, that's going to be changed constantly throughout the season. One thing that isn't going to change is the fact that Michael Kopech is a part of this conversation. Michael Kopech is coming back healthy. He looked great in his in his debut back from, from Tommy John surgery in spring through four consecutive 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. Give me your opinion on Michael Kopech. How do you think he can translate this year, given the circumstances that, hey, season may not get going again until June? I think, if anything, that helps him out. Um, a little bit more time to recover. A little bit more time to you know have specialized sessions and everything i mean i'm a huge huge michael Kopik fan not only for what he's done on the field but for what he's done in his year off of baseball has been kind of inspiring with how open he's been about mental illness and speaking to it i love the fact that he just cut off all social media accounts and then he married a social media queen <laughs> who she couldn't have been nicer at Sox Fest either. I talked to her for a little bit. 
Um, but Michael, I don't think he's ever been more focused. And for a guy that has the physical attributes that he has, to be able to back that now with the mental game, I think it's going to be lethal. I think he's going to be an elite pitcher in this league. Um, I was as excited as anyone else uh, when he came out in spring training and just threw just straight gas. Um, and for the most part, he was locating pitches. His strikeout, he painted the corner with 101, which uh, was fantastic. Pitching Ninja even gave him the painting with fire gif. It was fantastic. Um, he didn't miss on like two, I think it was two fastballs, but again, first spring training game. Um, but if there's anything positive that people need about this delayed start to the season is how it gives guys like Copic and Giolito and Edwin and Carcion, like all these guys a little bit more time to heal before the actual season. But because of that as well, and I don't know, and I'm sure you guys can clue me in and I apologize, but I don't know how this delay is going to work with service time. I don't know, you know, what the answer is going to be with all that. Um, but the big thing with Copic was getting him just some live game starts before he came up to the MLB. And obviously that won't be able to do it. They could do simulations and stuff like that. But I think this might've just bought him a ticket right to Chicago and just skip Charlotte. If he's got an extra two months to prepare. Yeah. So the service time implications of all this is something that is super interesting. I think, I mean, obviously not to bore anybody, but you know, 172 days of service is generally what, these guys need for like a full major league year. I think Michael Kopech needed to be down for like an additional 55 days for the minor league season. So um, a lot of people were saying, you know, expected Kopech to make his debut late May because of that. Cause it kind of serves two masters. They can kind of slow play him at the beginning of the year, let him pitch in warmer weather, um, you know, bring him up in May and then have him down the stretch while also like getting that year of control. I, I don't really think they're going to be able to do that anymore considering, I mean, we talked about, I think June is optimistic for major league baseball personally. So yeah, I mean, you may be in a situation where Michael Kopech's up right away and you might be in a situation where Carlos Rodon's like your number two or number three starter, like right away. And you know, that's like something that, nobody really considered obviously, but you know, the longer this goes on, the longer those guys have to get healthy. Um, so, you know, it could potentially help them, you know, the, the team, it could, it could help the team in regards to Nick Madrigal's service time, but it's definitely going to hurt them in regard to Copex. But you know, the fans that don't really care about that stuff, like, yeah, it's, it's good for them. Cause I think we're probably going to see their best team whenever they get started. Matt, fantastic stuff. Thanks so much for taking the time. We'll uh, cut it off there. You do great work, and you've been a White Sox mainstay, obviously popular on Twitter. You can follow him at Southside Zoe. Also, give their podcast, give his podcast a follow, Pinwheels and Ivy. He's a co-host, focuses on the Chicago White Sox at Pinwheels Ivy Pod. Matt, great stuff. Thanks so much for jumping on with us. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it, and uh, appreciate all the work you guys do with the prospects and all the great content. Thanks, Matt. For Matt Zawoski and James Fox, my name is Mike Rankin. Be sure to subscribe to us on any listening platform that you get your podcast, iTunes, Spotify, and the like. It was a pleasure to be speaking with you again. Stay healthy, everybody. We'll talk to you all next time.